Welcome back to the Lions College Football Podcast. I'm Brett Gibbons with thelions.com. And as always, I'm joined by Kelly Ford. Kelly, welcome back. We are in week 12. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm torn, Brett. I'm doing great because we're talking college football, but I'm not doing great because you said it's week 12, and that means we're running out of opportunities to talk college football during this regular season. So we've got some great games on tap. Uh, everything's heating up, right? You've got some conference championship races that have already been locked up. We know what those matchups are. Others, there's still a ton to be left decided. Of course, we've got the CFP lurking as well. All this bowl eligibility. Our team's going to make it. Which bowls will they be in the New Year's Six or what? It, it's an exciting time of year. It's a busy time of year. There's so much to get to, and I'm just excited to be breaking it all down with you. Yeah, and before we dive into it all, don't forget to follow the lines on Twitter at the lines US. I'm at Road to CFB, and Kelly's work can be found at K Ford Ratings. We'll be here for the remainder of the season, breaking down the college football slate as well as individual weeknight games. If you are looking for those weeknight games, they're already posted. Go check them out. Like you said, we've got just two weeks left here in the regular season, and things are hot in the streets like week zero. Week 12 is more of, a, I think, an appetizer to rivalry week next weekend. However, we do have some pretty big, exciting ones on uh, on tap here as well. Don't fall asleep at the wheel because we've got uh, conference championships and, and potentially conference championship hopes that will be dashed this week. Um, I also think we had a really good feel for last week's slate. So let's go ahead and keep that momentum rolling into week 12 here. Starting with the Big Ten West, we have Purdue a three-point road favor at Northwestern. This game carries an over-under of 46.5 points, and it kicks off at noon Eastern on the Big Ten Network. This is potentially the last game ever played at Ryan Field, as it's known today. Uh, the plans are in place. I guess it's going to be voted on here soon. The plans are being uh, in place to tear it down and replace it with a brand-new stadium. And that's just sad to see because this is a very historic venue in Evanston. It is going to be breezy in this game. Uh, what's new in Chicago? Uh, sustained winds near 15 miles an hour. Uh, these aren't teams that really uh, push the limits in, in terms of uh, offense, but hey, the, the weather does make a little bit of a difference here. But the movement's been all over Purdue so far, which to me is kind of surprising. I'll get into why, but it, crossing three is a big deal here. Uh, and it has not, there's been no resistance yet. I kind of wonder if the three mark is that resistance for Northwestern. Um, and not actionable, but just an interesting thing while I was looking at it. Northwestern has alternated wins and losses every other week so far this season without fail. And they just beat Wisconsin 24-10 as 11.5 point dogs. Uh, maybe one of the more surprising, I think, results on, this, uh, on the week last week. And at 5-5, five and five, David Braun, man, he's making a strong case to be the full-time coach. Currently still technically in interim, although he has been with them all season long. And especially given that off-season noise. You know, there's a couple of schools of thought. You can say, well, the players have rallied around the new guy, and that's why they're playing well. They're outperforming expectations. Or maybe Braun's just a pretty decent coach. I don't know. If I were them, I'd probably keep him around, uh, although I have seen that they are going to do their due diligence. Um, been thoroughly impressed by him. Quarterback Ben Bryant for the Wildcats did return last week after being knocked out of a game back in Week 5 against Penn State. He threw for 195 yards and two touchdowns against Wisconsin. Not bad. No turnovers. Uh, and they also forced two, turn two turnovers pardon me, in their own territory and then took advantage of a really good second quarter, like I said, to beat Wisconsin. Purdue on the other side. Both of their Big Ten wins have been kind of strange, kind of out of nowhere, 40-point outbursts against Big Ten West opponents, surrounded by games in which they got trounced, which you can look at some of those. Okay, Ohio State, Michigan, fine. But they also got beat badly by Nebraska. So uh, it it's kind of a, a dart throw team, in my opinion. Not causation, but certainly some correlation here. Both of these big wins did feature the fewest pass attempts by Hudson Card on the season. And they also just hung 350 rush yards in a win over Minnesota just last week. Northwestern, pretty good at capping explosive runs, but they do get pushed around a little bit up front. They're 100th in rushing success rate allowed, which means they allow those four to five, six yard chunk plays. But they're 47th in rush EPA, which means not giving up a lot of those 20 yard rushes. Yeah, Brett, you said almost all of it right there. I mean, it's hard for me to follow that. Uh, I've got this game as a pick 'em. It's a 52% win expectancy for Northwestern. So again, I the line movement, you know, towards Purdue and and three might be that resistance point. I, I think that makes sense. Um, what a season though for the Wildcats. I was at Big Ten Media Days in Indianapolis over the summer, and Brett, I, I remember thinking at the time, and I think I even maybe tweeted like, this is the only time you'll probably ever see more media members huddled around the head coach of Northwestern, no matter who it is than the head coach at Ohio State. Again, no matter who it is, because of the situation that they found themselves in yeah. around that time. As you mentioned, what David Braun has done, 5-5 uh, five and five this season. It's truly remarkable. Wildcats have already exceeded my 
by preseason realistic expectations and are now just one win away from reaching a bowl game, something my numbers assign just a 14% chance to happen in the preseason. So it's been a great year in Evanston. Northwestern's current power rating rank of number 76 is a season best, and as expected, this team is built around the defense, a unit that is currently ranked number 41 nationally. The offense continues to be a concern, though. It's been sub-100 all year, currently ranked number 106. That's not out of the ordinary, though, for some Big Ten West schools, as we've seen uh, over the course of recent history. One year after competing for a Big Ten championship, Purdue is the only team in the West, Brett, that has been eliminated from the title game race with just two weeks to go here in the regular season. It's been a tough year one year one for Ryan Walters at Purdue, uh, but the Boilermakers are coming off a resounding win against Minnesota, as you mentioned. Two more wins to close out the season. They finish five and seven, and that's exactly what my preseason realistic expectations projected. So it's still in front of them with Northwestern here, and then, of course, the old Oak and Bucket game against IU next week. Um, the defenses are the best units in this game. Again, typical for a Big Ten West showdown. Uh, but bottom line, the home field advantage here, and you mentioned Ryan Field, it would be sad to see it go. Um, it'd be just enough for the model in this one to lean Northwestern at a pick 52% chance at the Wildcats' clinch bowl eligibility this week, which in and of itself would be just a phenomenal story. This is a little bit uh, boots-on-the-ground uh, facts here, it, and it's it's interesting. So I went to a Northwestern game earlier this year, that, that game against Penn State, and I went with people that live in Evanston. They're very intimately familiar with the Northwestern program. There's been a very sharp decrease in support by Northwestern alum this year. Um, I, they were very taken aback by the hazing scandal, and and a lot of other people were also taken aback by the the decision to dismiss Pat Fitzgerald. And there's not a lot of support around this program right now. There's not a lot of people going to the games intentionally. The tailgates are empty, so it's not just people going and tailgating. They they are seriously withdrawing their support of Northwestern and, and this new stadium coming in and demolishing the old one is not a very popular thing, especially among people that live near the stadium. There may not be a very strong home field advantage at this one. The Even with it being the very last game at Ryan Field, that bet will probably be enough to bring a lot more people out than normal. But uh, Kelly, they just don't, they, they're not supporting this team this year. I, one, I did not know all of that. That is good inside info, as you said. And two, again, I talk every week or every time we get together about the model is not the end all be all. It can't capture everything. There are intangibles. I would say, you know, that that information about the home field advantage is something that should be strongly considered by betters here. And maybe that's why the line is Purdue minus three when I have it as a straight up pick them. Maybe, maybe Vegas is saying, yeah, there really isn't anything there uh, this week for Northwestern given what's going on. So good Intel, Brett uh, certainly didn't know all that. And I, I understand all of it. I will say it's unfortunate for the student athletes that are competing yes. this year because man, they're, they're, they're having a good year, especially relative yeah. to expectations. Um, but again, I, I get it. I understand why. And uh, it's the reality of the situation that Northwestern finds itself in right now. Yeah, but to be honest, just looking at these teams purely, and if you want to go as far as to say, well, I'll judge it on a neutral or, or whatever, I, what's West Lafayette? Just a couple hours from, from North mm -hmm. Chicago. Not that far. If you remove the traffic, I should say. Uh, but either way, I think that the market has actually swung a little bit too far. Um, siding with Purdue is asking me to trust just a roulette table of outcomes for Hudson card. And that's something I just rather not do, especially at this juncture, I'm probably going to wait till Friday or even Saturday morning to see what way this line moves, because those day of line moves are typically a lot sharper and a lot stronger of an indicator of a game than something that happens on Tuesday or Wednesday as we're recording here. But as it stands right now, uh, this is Northwestern plus three for me. I, I think that's the way I lean uh, this has the potential to be a lower scoring game potentially, but also a shootout. Um, I, I think I just lean Northwestern. I think they're a better football team playing better and more consistent football right now. And uh, Purdue's just a complete dart throw, in, in in my opinion. That That's kind of the way I dice it. Moving into uh, a big game, really exciting game. We have Appalachian State on the road at James Madison. The Dukes are nine-point home favorites in this game. Carries an over-under 55.5 points as it stands today. This is weird. It kicks off at 2 p.m. Eastern on ESPN+. Okay, fine, whatever. But this is also College Game Day's pick of the week. Why can't we flex this into a national game? Come on, guys. What are we doing, though? This is the third time that Game Day has been to James Madison. First time as a member of the FBS. Appalachian State is on a three-game win streak, uh, and they took some midweek movement from plus as high as plus 12. I saw it down, of course, to that uh, plus 9, plus 8.5 at some books. 
James Madison is just 5-12 and 12 against App State since 1982. Uh, that, of course, dating back to their FCS days. But they did have a big comeback last year when they were down 28-10.5. Pitched the second half, shut out to win. App State, uh, like I said, was as, as high as the 12-11.5. That, to me, is interesting. Uh, and, and it's potentially because James Madison lost one of the most prolific players, not just on their roster, but the entire country. Jalen Green, pass rusher for James Madison, he's out for the season. Uh, that really sucks. He, he still leads the country pretty comfortably with 18 sacks already on the seat. And he's not even going to play the last three games, man. This, this is an absolute game wrecker. But even without him, James Madison's strength is still in their defensive front. They're number two in EPA per rush allowed, first in success rate nationally, allowing a sub-30% rushing success rate against some teams in the Sun Belt that, that can run the football pretty well. They're also fifth in sack rate, uh, so across the board, they're, they're pretty good in the front seven, especially on that defensive line, even without Jalen Green. App State, on the other hand, they've had issues protecting quarterback Joey Aguilar, uh, even, or Aguilar, pardon me, weird inflection on that one, um, even with his super quick release. I'm talking sub 2.6 average time to throw. They're still having trouble uh, keeping him protected. Of course, that's resulted in a very low pressure to sack rate, which has been pretty good. I think he's been playing pretty well overall uh, since stepping in for Ryan Berger this year. 26 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. Uh, he does make up for a lacking run game, even with Nate Noel, who right now, he, he's been hurt. He started to look like he had a little bit more pop last week against Georgia State, going for 86 yards on 10 uh, carries. But right now, he's still probably only at 50%, and I judge that based on the fact that his typical workload is 25 to 30 carries a game. Now he's only getting 13 to 15. That's a pretty good indicator of judging, hey, where is an athlete at in his recovery? Looks like smack dab at 50%, but improving. I'm not sure his health makes that big a difference, though, because, again, the Dukes are probably going to force Aguilar to air the ball out. They're, they're going to take the run game away like they have all season and force the quarterback to do something with it. And then on the other end, something has to give. James Madison's been really inefficient in the run game this year. Less than four yards to carry on the season, 123rd in rushing success rate. App State is 119th against the run this year. So which one gives? Does James Madison continue not to block the run very well, or are they going to find some success against this defense? In an even kind of larger macro view, Brett, it almost feels like this is a little bit of a changing of the guard opportunity. You know, when people think of, you know, yeah. FCS or, or upstart teams in the FBS, you know, App State's one that comes to mind. It goes back to the yeah. 2007 game at the Big House, right? And that's been – now they've experienced success at the FBS level for, geez, a handful of years now. I mean, almost a decade now, I feel like, at this point. So, App State has kind of been that team. James Madison, though, I mean, what a season. Has any program ever made the transition to the top level of college football look this easy? Like last year, now this year, it, it does feel like James Madison is that kind of new app state, if you will, and this is a chance for them to really uh, cement that with a, with a win. One game doesn't do wasn't doesn't take away what App State's accomplished and doesn't necessarily overcome all of that. But man, James Madison's just looked so good since they made the transition. They might be the kind of that new team that people think of when you think of FCS, new FBS teams. It's James Madison now. And my number in this game, Brett, is James Madison minus 10. Again, I love, I don't know why, just makes me feel really good about my numbers when the opening line is whatever it is, it crosses over my number, and then by the time kickoff comes, We've, we've been on both sides of what my number is. It just makes me feel good about where the model's calibrated for these teams. It's a 77% win expectancy for the Dukes in this one. At 10-0, James Madison has three and a half more wins than my preseason realistic expectations projected through Week 11. That makes the Dukes number one on my overachievers list. Again, what a season they are having. This team is currently power rated a season best number 38. They're in the top 40 on both sides of the ball. Forget G5 status, transitioning status, forget all the qualifiers. This is a really good football team. Like, they're just, they are very impressive. They're efficient. They're playing at a very high level. And for App State, six and four isn't meeting the standard that they've set. I talked about that a little bit uh, to open this up. But the Mountaineers still have a top 30 offense. Unfortunately, the defense is currently number 99. That's the main reason why this team has just a 10% chance to win the division right now. But a win in this one, and again, James Madison's not eligible, at least pending the Hail Mary they're trying to throw here, which who knows, maybe it works, and if it does, great. If it doesn't, no foul, or no harm, no foul. Those odds for App State to make the champ game improved a 41% chance with a win in this one. This is a big obstacle for them. Tiebreakers can get interesting in this division, but a huge opportunity for App State to try to get a lot done here on the field. With three of the four units power ranked in the top 40, 
this should be a really fun game, Brett. It's the game day game, as you talked about. It's the game that you're writing about for the lines.com. It's a game we should pay attention to. Yeah, I wish it wasn't on ESPN+. Plus. Hey, I, I've got ESPN+. Plus. I'll have it on. But for, for a lot of people, yeah, why is this game not on an ESPN2 or an ESPNU? Shoot, even ESPN at that point, why not show a little love in a week that doesn't maybe have as many high-profile Power 5 versus Power 5 games? Bottom line, I have James Madison minus 10. It's a 23% chance that App State spoils the Duke's perfect season. I just think that App State defense, they're the outlier unit. And this game is in Harrisonburg. That, to me, is the difference. I think James Madison gets it done and moves to within one game of a perf- perfect regular season. Yeah, in that Hail Mary that you mentioned, I, I, the Sun Belt had already said that if the NCAA approves their waiver, they will let them play in the championship game. Now it goes from James Madison being ineligible for a bowl game at all to New Year's prob- six. probably the New Year's Six bid. New yeah, like probably playing in the Cotton Bowl. If I had to guess with which one they're going to get, it would probably be the Cotton And they play a... A Penn State or or you know a, a Oregon or a t- you know a team that doesn't just on the outside of the CFP, they have to finish the deal, right? Well, first they have to get eligible; they have to be ruled yes. eligible, and then they need to finish the deal, which means yeah. winning the next couple games and then winning the Sun Belt Championship game. It's not easy task, but if they mm-hmm. do, I mean, they're currently number twelve in my most deserving right. rankings. That is, yeah. I, I, they're eligible for my most deserving, so I have them number twelve, <laughs> and there's no other G five team that is at that level right now from a resume standpoint. So if they keep winning, yeah, I think they'd be in the New Year's Six if they're given the the eligibility waiver. Well, if we're looking at the over-under here, 55 is the most key figure in college football totals betting over the last five seasons. Both teams, I think, counter each other very well. Like you said, it's all top four units, save for the App State defense. Um, I'm going to be honest, this is a play for the under. Uh, I I like it at 55 or or better or higher in this case, betting under that total. It's hard for uh, a team... Uh, to get into a rhythm if you have a balanced offense, which both these teams are. They're about 52 to 55% run calls. Um, and when you can't get the run game going, it's really hard to get a consistent rhythm. Ultimately, I believe James Madison's ability to put the brakes on uh, App State's run game, uh, their offense as, as a whole, um, I think that they'll be able to do that. And then right now it's kind of scorched earth season for, for JMU as they kind of vie for that postseason bid. So I think that they're really going to apply the brakes to App State's offense. Uh, and I don't see James Madison really doing all of the legwork for that 55 and a half. Um, So I I like under, I I like under here as long as you can get it 55 or better. Moving on for the college game day game of the week to maybe, um, maybe the most high profile game. It's up there. One of the most high profile games here. Number one, Georgia, 10 point road favorite, number 18, Tennessee in the latest college football playoff rankings. Uh, This game carries an over under 59 points. It kicks off at 3.30 PM Eastern on CBS, right where I believe uh, it belongs. That is a perfect network for this kind of game. So um, Brock Bowers is back, uh, caught a touchdown last week after he thought he was off to the NFL, but apparently not. He wants one more shot at a championship, it appears, whether it be SEC or national or both. Um, Georgia was without uh, Jamon Dumas Johnson at linebacker. Smart says he's week to week with an arm injury and that they're trying to get him back. But to me, that doesn't really sound like he'll go. Um, you've locked in your spot in the, co- in the conference championship game. It's probably best to keep someone as uh, prolific as Dumas Johnson curbed. Until you can get into the postseason, you bring him back at, at full health. I don't think that he's going to go for this game, to be honest. Uh, Tennessee, on the other side, they have their own injuries as well. Dante Thornton, uh, the transfer wide receiver from Oregon, he's done for the season. Jabari Small was limited last week against Missouri as well. Joe Milton, is uh, he's running out of viable options to throw to. Brew McCoy, of course, had the nasty injuries he's done for the year. And, and Tennessee, they're, they're suffering from it. They're obviously not the same elite offense that we had last year under Alex Galesh and um, Malik Hooker, but they've taken a huge, huge step back. And you want to talk about getting dominated, man. Tennessee was held to 48% of their available yards, 17% success rate in the red zone. They turned the ball over three times against Missouri. Just got It was one of those games where the first half was pretty close, but then Missouri started to put their foot down, and there was kind of a realization in the third quarter, like, is Tennessee going to get blown out? Because they were going three and out all the time. They had a couple of turnovers and plus territory. Uh, but to me, asking Joe Milton to do everything is just a recipe for disaster. And I do believe Missouri, very, very good football team. No doubt about it. They hung with Georgia, of course. Uh, but I think Georgia's in scorch earth mode, just like James Madison, even at number one. Uh, what they did so well defensively against Ole Miss came at the second level. So the Rebels had 1.9 line yards per rush. That's pretty good, especially against a, a defense like Georgia. But the Dogs only allowed 1.7 second level yards, which means they were flying down these ball carriers, crashing down on them, making really sound tackles and not missing very many of those tackles, not giving Ole Miss an opportunity to be breaking off really 
anything. Uh, they held them to absolutely nothing until that game was well out of reach. Jalen Wright is one of the most explosive backs on Tennessee. He makes his dime with breakaway runs. He's not going to be having a lot of opportunities for breakaway runs against Georgia. On the offense, though, Carson Beck, pretty darn good. Uh, he was kind of a, not, not a nothing burger, but he was silently kind of compiling these stats and playing really well. But it was against suspect competition, so he didn't get a lot of looks. And now he comes out and shines against these better teams, and people are starting to notice that Carson Beck, I wouldn't be surprised to see him in probably top three of Heisman odds coming into next season. Georgia averaged 9.5 yards per play against Ole Miss and a half, 0.5 EPA for, per play. For context, every time they snap the football, go ahead and just tick another half point to their score. That's how badly they beat up on Ole Miss here. They picked up 88% of available yards. Of course, Ole Miss's defense has a lot of concerns. They're not very good. Tennessee's a bit better than that, but I don't know that they're much better than that. What do your numbers say? Yeah, Brett, you uh, set the stage really nicely. I feel like some people have turned their attention away from this game since Georgia has already clinched the East. Um, but with a watchability score of 9.6, this is my number one game of the week. It's actually the number 12 game of the entire regular season by this metric. I'm very interested in this one, and I think it's going to be closer than Vegas projects. I only have Georgia minus 6.5. It's a 68% win expectancy for the Dogs. It's safe to say that the Georgia offense has hit its stride. You said it's scorched earth mode. I, I like that a lot. Uh, the unit is currently ranked a season best number five nationally and has scored at least 30 points in five straight games now. This defense, they've been great all year. They're ranked number five again this week. You put those two top five units together, and Georgia is right back in the top four of my power ratings for the first time in over a month. Of course, they started the year number one. Kind of played with their food a little bit there for the first half of the season. Fell to number 10 in the power ratings. They are now back up into the top four. As they seem to do every year this time of year, the dogs appear to have found that next year, that scorched earth mode. They're putting it all together down the stretch here, presenting the biggest test on both sides of the ball that Tennessee will face all season based on my current numbers. Probably not surprising. By this point, and you touched on it, Brett, we all recognize the 2023 Tennessee team isn't quite on the same level as 2022 Tennessee. But as a reminder to kind of reset the expectation here, that 2022 Tennessee team, from a power rating standpoint, that was the best team we've seen in Knoxville since 1998. And of course, Tennessee fans remember that year very fondly, winning the BCS National Championship in 1998. That doesn't mean the Vols aren't a really good football team this year. My numbers suggest they are, and that's despite... Let's call it what it is, the disastrous game in Columbia last week. The offense has taken a step back, Brett, as you mentioned, but it still ranks in the top 20 nationally. The defense has exceeded preseason realistic expectations. It ranks in the top 25 in the country. Some of the intangibles here in this game, which, again, the model's not necessarily capturing, but it's important to consider, they seemingly favor Tennessee as well. In many cases, there's exceptions to everything, but in many cases, we see a bounce back from teams that just got blown out. That would be Tennessee at Missouri last week. And we see a potential letdown from teams that just blew a team out. That would be Georgia at home last week against a then CFP top 10 ranked Ole Miss team. Now, Georgia being number one, you know, Kirby might be able to use that to light a fire. Somehow he's able to, somehow Kirby's able to motivate when they're not number one and he motivates when they're number one. He's very, he's very good that way. There's a reason this man has won two straight national championships. Um, but another intangible that goes towards Tennessee here, this is a revenge game for the Vols and fans in Knoxville would like nothing more than to knock off this freshly minted number one CFP ranked team in the country just like Georgia did to Tennessee in Athens last year when the Volunteers rolled in there as the CFP's number one team a couple weeks earlier in the season, if I'm not mistaken. Ultimately, though, I think this game will be closer than Vegas. My numbers do give the advantage to Georgia on both sides of the ball, and despite having to go into this hostile environment, I do have Georgia minus 6.5. It's a 68% chance to win the game outright, and now that we know it will be Georgia versus Alabama in Atlanta. We can confidently assign some probabilities to what's the chance that Georgia finishes the deal here. 34% chance that Georgia goes 13-0, and beating Alabama in the SEC championship game. And at that point, I guess there would be a debate about are they the number one team or the number two team in the committee's rankings? Because by that point, Ohio State will have added Michigan to the resume too. But I think with Georgia having the opportunity to add Tennessee this week and Alabama in Atlanta – and they're not supposed to consider this, but try to tell me they don't, two-time defending national champs, I do think Georgia would be the number one team. And with a resume like that, hey, I, I've knocked Georgia's resume to date and their ranking to date, but you add these wins that, that they would have in this scenario, 
I'm not going to have a huge issue with Georgia being up there at the top. It's a tough ask on the road, and and you raise a lot of very, very good points about what Georgia's going to be walking into here. And, of course, Neyland Stadium, one of the best atmospheres in all of college football. But, and, and I see what your model says, Kelly, I'm laying the points with Georgia again. Uh, this team is, like you said, ra- really rounding into form. I think that they take advantage in just every asset or facet of the game. They have an, uh, an advantage, pardon me, in every facet of the game, uh, except playing on the road in Neyland. Uh, forcing Joe Milton to do too much without his pass catchers against a terrific Georgia secondary to me is a recipe for turnovers. Georgia is healthier and getting healthier besides Dumas Johnson, of course. I'm not sure that it's going to be quite the same level as last week, of course. That's a, a almost unrepeatable uh, ass-kicking to, to be very blunt about it against a top-10 team. But uh, this feels like a take-care-of-business game once again for Georgia, even with the SEC East locked up, like you said, Kirby Smart doesn't fall asleep at the wheel. That's not what he does. I think Georgia walks in here. I think they beat them pretty soundly. Tennessee's really hurting from those injuries. I'm laying the points with Georgia on the road. We have Oklahoma State, number 23, still holding on there after getting absolutely blown out uh, last week. A seven-point road favorite at Houston. This game carries an over-under 59.5 points. It kicks off at 4 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. The reason I wanted to bring this game up, because you may look at it and say, wow, Oklahoma State-Houston, whoa, great. Uh, I think that there was a very steep reaction to last week's outcome. Uh, And it was a very shocking outcome, of course. Like, you know, we pointed out, hey, this is a huge letdown spot for Oklahoma State. Watch out. And guess what? It turned out to be. But to the degree of getting beat 45-3 to on the road, shocking to me. But I've seen a lot of discourse on Twitter about this guy. Um, and I've, I want to bring something up that people have not been talking about. Ollie Gordon's been hurt, guys. He was in and out of the Bedlam game, but he played against UCF. Tough kid, but he was seriously limited. Just 12 carries. That and also, you know, Oklahoma State was getting crushed. So they had to throw the ball. But, you know, how does he look coming into this week? I've been keeping an eye on practice reports. Haven't seen a lot of uh, updates around him. But, guys, we're docking him for going 12 for 25 last week. But again, he was super hurt. I don't know why that's been thrown to the wayside, but hey, another week to get healthy here. I'm going to be honest. I laid the seven with Oklahoma State. Uh, boy, I've been taking a lot of road favorites, and I don't like that. I don't like betting road favorites, but uh, Oklahoma State laying the points for me. I subscribe to the theory that good teams have bad games, just like you talked about with Tennessee on the road at Missouri. The market is so quick to discard these teams the second that they lose, and I have a couple more of these teams on, on our docket today to talk about. They had four turnovers, which is far above their season average. They didn't have their explosive borderline Heisman-worthy back healthy. It was a big letdown spot like we highlighted. It was just kind of a, a perfect storm walking into UCF the first time they played in the state of Florida in, in 18 years in the regular season or whatever. And when you're talking about college games and college kids, something that doesn't really happen so much in the NFL, but happens a lot in college, um, and I think it's accentuated if you watch college baseball. It, uh, when things get ugly, they get ugly. And games get away from these players. We saw it with Georgia Ole Miss. The second you fall behind and realize, oh crap, I'm getting really beat. College kids are not the most uh, uh, resilient. It's harder to bounce back when you get dejected like that with all the things going against you. This to me is a game that just got away from Oklahoma State. It just happens. Are we going to say Ole Miss is now terrible because they just gave up 52 points? No, I don't think so. That's a game that got away from them and got progressively worse as it went on. Anyway, Oklahoma State has an opportunity to turn things back around, and they still hold tiebreakers over head-to-head tiebreakers over Kansas State and Oklahoma. So, Big Twelve Championship game, man, is in their grasp. If they that, win out, they make Arlington. That matters now, Brett, because previously, yeah. <laughs> under the prior interpretation, because Oklahoma and Kansas State hadn't played, that head-to-head wouldn't come into to play. Now the Big 12's clarified. It does come into play. Yes. I know fan bases are upset about that. As someone who's not Shouldn't invested, be. as someone who's not invested in this, like I don't have a team in this fight. I think that where we landed now is the right place to be. Yes. Uh, I don't think the head-to-head should be nullified just because Oklahoma and Kansas State didn't play. But again, I work at a conference office. Like I, I know how this stuff goes and how it works. That's a tough spot for that conference to be making a clarification, as they called it, at this stage of the game. You you like to have the rules set, and everybody knows what they are before any games are played in any sport. It's tough to make a clarification at this time, but ultimately you need to make tough decisions to get to the right outcomes, and I think we've landed in the right spot in this case as someone who's not invested one way or the other. 
Yeah, and I've, I brought this up whenever I talk about Oklahoma State that Mike Gundy has more nine-plus win seasons than he does losing seasons in the almost 20 years that he's been at Oklahoma State. He's a very good coach, hard stop. And if you think that he's got a path to Arlington, if you just win your final two games, you get in. I have to imagine this team is going to be absolutely dialed in walking into Houston. And to be honest, Houston is just not a very good football team all the way around. They're awful against pass, 112th in EPA. Alan Bowman hasn't had to do much aside from last week where he threw three picks and it wasn't great. But when Ollie Gordon gets going, it opens up the passing game too. And Alan Bowman's been relatively efficient, uh, especially when it's not all him and, and him being asked to do everything. On the other side though, for the Cougars, Matthew Golden, they're, they're a terrific dynamic wide receiver, really good return man. He is out for the season. So they're down one of their better players. This team really can't afford too many injuries to those skill players because, well, to put it frankly, they're bad. Uh, they, they're they lacking depth and talent. Um, when I was looking at the aggregate of power ratings, I have a pack of eight teams right in the middle of the Big 12 that are all within two points of each other. And then Houston's kind of that first team that falls below that mess. Uh, they have a little bit of a ways to go, at, at least my aggregate of power ratings. The offense completely disappeared against Cincinnati. They had just a 33% success rate, three turnovers. And in their last three games, shout out by Kansas State. They needed overtime to muster 25 points against Baylor's defense, which is not great. And uh, then they posted just 14 points at home against Cincinnati. Uh, Houston's a full-on fade team for me. Outside of the emotionally charged Dana Holgerson Bowl against West Virginia, which was that Hail Mary finish, whole lot of fun. The Cougars have just been absolutely dismal. I, I think that this is still a team that can be very successful in the Big 12 moving forward because they're in such a hotbed of recruiting. One of the best. If you're not talking about... Southern California, if you're not talking about the, the Miami-Dade County area, uh, Houston is, is where the talent is at. So I think this team will be okay in the long run, but right now they're not. Um, and to be honest, they might be a Cancun team. And so this is Oklahoma State for me. Oklahoma State's on a mission. Houston really doesn't have anything left to play for. Uh, I don't trust Dana Holgerson as far as I can throw him. What say you? Scorched Earth mode, Cancun team. These are just great. End of the year, phrases. Kelly. <laughs> These are great phrases, Brett, that I absolutely love. Listen, uh, we you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. And I talked last week about how all the green on Oklahoma State's dashboard, like in every single category, that usually means the team is going to regress. And regress the Cowboys did a lot Brett as you talked about only Arkansas was downgraded more than Oklahoma State in this week's power rating update Cowboys fell 2.5 points that's significant for this late in the season but what do we expect after a week of big regression progression back to the mean a little bit here with that being said my numbers actually kind of have this similar to Vegas I have Oklahoma State minus six in this game it's a 66% win expectancy. Again, you can talk about what's the home field advantage mean for a team that's in Cancun mode. Um, which <laughs> I just can't get over it. That's great. My numbers give Oklahoma State the advantage on both sides of the ball in this game. The Cowboys offense, this is the best unit on the field. They're at number 35 for me. Um, and it's a unit that should be licking its chops because at number 101, this Houston team possesses the worst opposing defense that the Pokes will face all season based on my current numbers. To make matters worse, for Houston, the Cougars' offense is currently ranked a season-worst number 60. Uh, I know what you just said about uh, the Cancun team. Technically, Houston is still fighting for a bowl bid. Being at home should, in theory, help. But at the end of the day, I think Oklahoma State bounces back, gets the win to stay in this crowded Big 12 race. And again, when I kind of made my notes for this game, I didn't have the updated context about what this clarification means. It's not quite as crowded as as it appears for Oklahoma State, given this news about the head to head. Um, so it's it's not necessarily clear cut, but it's also not quite as crowded for them in particular if they just take care of their business. It's a big if. It's hard to win games in college football, absolutely. But Oklahoma State's proven they can win big games this year. They need to avoid stubbing their toe as they've done a couple times. Bottom line, I have Oklahoma State minus six. It's a thirty four percent chance that Houston earns their earns the upset and their first meeting between these teams, Brett. Since 2009. They've, they're at Houston this week, like we just highlighted, and they're home against BYU. Like, it's not an exaggeration to say that this bid to Arlington is Oklahoma State's to lose. 
Give me one second. Let me pull up. Let me let me pull up my uh, my dashboard for Oklahoma State real quick and see what I have their chances. I have them with a fifty three percent chance yeah. to win both of these games. So yeah, fifty three percent chance to get there on the tiebreaker front though, Brett. They also um, yeah, Iowa State still five and two. Now again, Iowa State has some games coming up here uh, against Texas and Kansas State, so that's going to be difficult. But Iowa State did beat Oklahoma State for whatever that's worth. Iowa State still even on the number of losses in conference play as Oklahoma. Oklahoma State. However, you look at their chances here. I have it as a 97% chance that they lose at least one of those games. So yes, for all intents and purposes, Oklahoma State certainly in a very good spot. Yeah, I couldn't ask for a better way to wrap up the the Big 12 season for them. If you're in a position and and you need to have two games, uh, aside from Baylor, Houston and BYU are probably the two teams you handpick. And even then, you probably still pick BYU and Houston over Baylor, because Baylor's been a conference mate for so long. I, I know they're they're playing really bad football right now, but couldn't couldn't ask for a better setup for Oklahoma State here. What a, what a roller coaster of a season that would be to see them in Arlington. Anyway, staying in the Big Twelve, we have exciting ranked matchup. We have number one twenty uh, number twenty one. Pardon me, Kansas State, an eight point road favorite at number twenty five, Kansas, the Sunflower Showdown, as we so lovingly know it. This game carries an over under fifty six and a half points, and it kicks off at seven p.m. Eastern. On FS1, what is going on with our TV assignments this week? We have a we have a, a an objectively light slate of college football. All the best games are on ESPN Plus and FS1 and and the CW. Like, what are we doing? Come on, guys. Um, brands, way, brands, brands, brands. I know, but come on. I, it, I, I'm, I'm, I don't say I like it. I'm telling <laughs> you, it's brands. Yeah, no, it, it it really is, especially in a week like this. Uh, Kansas does lead this all time series sixty five to fifty to five. But they're incredibly just four and twenty-six in the last thirty meetings. So I uh, had had a big lead on the Wildcats coming into uh, what the nineties. The uh, <laughs> Kansas State slowly creeping up here. This actually will be the third longest running rivalry in the FBS after Bedlam dissolves uh, next season. Technically, it, it it's already done, but they counted it this year. That's behind only Minnesota, Wisconsin, and NC State Wake Forest, which is uh, to me is always interesting to see that that's the second longest running FBS rivalry. Kansas, though, has not notched a win in this since 2008. And we remember what that 2007-2008 stretch for the Jayhawks was like. Quarterback Jalen Daniels, he's been out. Word is he might be looking for a medical red shirt this year. Uh, and Jason Bean left last week's game after just playing four snaps. So the depth chart lists these two with an or next to QB3 Cole Ballard. Now, I think quarterback health has everything to do with this. We saw what happened without Bean and Daniels last week. They scored 13 points at home against Texas Tech, who doesn't exactly for, uh, front the strongest defense in the Big 12. Of course, they didn't game plan for Ballard, and, and that hurts when you have to just, oh, crap, now we have a whole game with this guy that we did not plan for who has a totally different skill set from other two guys. This week, they at least have the chance to game plan Ballard in. I, I don't know who goes because they did that or thing uh, that – that kind of tips me maybe that it's going to be Ballard. Keep an eye on that because that seriously tips the scales in this game. In my opinion, though, and it goes on the back of this game being on FS1, Kelly, Kansas State is the single most disrespected team in this country. It's 60-yard game-winning field goal and an overtime loss to Texas away from being 9-1, and and yet we're sitting here at 21st in the country. Yes, I know they probably shouldn't have been in that UT game to begin with, but regardless, I, I mean, they, they have not lost the game by more than one single score all year. The biggest mismatch on this game, I believe, is Kansas State's run game versus Kansas State's run defense. Uh, the Jayhawks defense is 125th in rush EPA, and they're allowing four and a half yards per carry. That's 89th nationally. Kansas State is 21st in rushing success rate. And this is a game where I expect to see a bit more Avery Johnson than the past few weeks. He's been very... Not limited, but we haven't seen him a whole lot because it's been the Will Howard show as he puts his team on his back or on his arm and, and is able to air the ball out. But against a team that's this uh, forgiving against the run, I think Avery Johnson has an opportunity to have a big game here and see more snaps. Kansas State is also proficient on the other side at stopping the run game, which is what Kansas likes to do. They have a 59% rush rate on the season, and they're 18th in, uh, or Kansas State, pardon me, is 18th in rushing success rate allowed. Kansas State, the kings of the what-if rankings this year because, as you mentioned, Brett, it's just it's incredible. Every game they've lost has been by one score. They're a really good football team. Um, but, yeah, so the, the big breaks that went for them last year have not necessarily gone their way this year, at least yet. There's still time, though. But, Brett, how about this game? Like, Kansas, Kansas State, 
being relevant in football. I absolutely love, love it. it. The future, the future Big it. 12 should love it too. Shoot, man, the current Big 12 has their eyes on yeah. this one as both teams are still in, again, I'll call it a glorious muddled mess of the Big 12 standings. <laughs> again, got a little bit more clarification here recently. But, um, yeah, this is just fun for college football, ranked versus ranked. And, again, that does not necessarily mean a quality game. But this late in the year to have these teams showing up in deserving rankings at the same time, gosh, it, it's refreshing, and I really, really enjoy it. I've got Kansas State minus 10.5. It's a 77% win expectancy. Here we go with Kansas State. 7-3. and three. They have about the same record that my preseason realistic expectations projected through 10 games. But as you mentioned, and as I touched on, all three losses coming by a single possession, this Wildcat team has greatly exceeded the model's expectation with regard to performance. Only Oregon has been upgraded more than the 9.5-point improvement experienced by Kansas State this season. Let me say that again. Kansas State has been upgraded the second most of any team in the country from preseason to current, only Oregon having a larger upgrade during that time. Currently power rated a season best number 11. The offense is now in the top 10, and the defense is lurking just outside the top 20. Again, this Wildcat team, very, very good. In fact, I touched on this, they're actually better by my numbers than last year's Big 12 championship team. Again, bounces went your way a year ago. Now they're not going your way this year. That's football. But this team, from a power rating standpoint, actually slightly better than last year's team that lifted a trophy in Arlington. I don't expect Kansas to be intimidated, though. The Jayhawks are number nine on my list of overachievers. They have a top 20 offense. My biggest concern here, as it's been all season, well, the quarterback health would certainly be there, but really it's the defense. Uh, the Jayhawk D is up to number 61 on the year. That's their season best. They started the year sub 100, but that side of the ball has been the side that's given me pause for concern, and I think we still have some of that this, this week um, on the defensive side. I've said it before. I'll say it again. It's too early to like actually physically start building a statue. But I'll tell you what, man. Lance Leipold, he's on his way to being immortalized outside of Memorial Stadium. What he's done in just two years at Kansas, you talked about 07-08. That's the last time we saw a two-year stretch of this much success. And granted, the 07 team had much more success than either this year's team or last year's in Kansas. I think they went to the Orange Bowl that year, if I'm not mistaken. You know, we're in the top five of the the, the BCS standings at the time at the end of the year. Um, really, really good spell for Kansas. Leipold, I mean, what he's got going on, I don't think it's a two and done. Like, he, he's really starting to make a believer out of me. That said, in this game in particular, my numbers have Kansas State minus 10.5, 23% chance that Kansas ends, you said it, a 14-game losing streak in this series. It'd be their first win against the Wildcats, as you mentioned, since 2008. Brett, I know you don't get into your age a whole lot. I'm going to get into mine. Dude, I was in high school the last time Kansas beat Kansas State. Look at me. I'm not in high school anymore. It's been a long time. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. This is just a show-of-the-road favorites, isn't it, I guess? I uh, I'm not sure at this line bakes in the possibility of Kansas being without their top two quarterbacks, at least at full health. Yeah. Now, the one thing that we do have to consider that I think is worth considering is that Jalen Daniels can still play one more game this season before he burns his red shirt. With Cincinnati on tap, this is probably the game you play him, especially if Bean isn't 100% or, or even can't go. Uh, so this could be a game in which Jalen Daniels plays. Now, I don't expect to hear anything about that until like an hour before kickoff because coaches always talk about competitive advantage. And I usually laugh that off when we're talking about, you know, the type of coaches that are saying, well, it's a competitive advantage between my awful backup and my all-star starter that everyone knows is good. But in this case, I do think it actually is a competitive advantage to not show your hand whatsoever on any of these three quarterbacks because they all bring something different to the table. They all bring a different game plan. So you can hide your game plan entirely until, you know, one or two or all three trot out in their pads and start warming up pregame. I think that's when we're going to know who's playing for Kansas. So I understand the trepidation to be like, well, I'm not laying the points with Kansas State because I don't know who's playing with a, a quarterback. I'm still laying Kansas State. I think they're a dominant team. It's now the point where, Kelly, I have them two points lower than Oklahoma on my power ratings. Yeah, I mean, they're they're right there. This is a team, like I said, they're better than last year's team that won a trophy. It's a very, very good football team that's a couple bounces, a couple decisions away from being right in the mix for the number yep. one spot in the CFP rankings. Yep. Yep. 
That seriously, if if you like, you do your what if rankings. If you flip every one score <laughs> result, Kansas State's undefeated. Yep. So this is a team that I'm laying the points with. I don't believe Kansas is on that level. They've been playing above expectation. They've been playing really well. Kansas State's dominated this series. They're a dominant team. They're going to be able to run the ball all over them. Uh, this is Kansas State for me. The Our difference for F- me in the the, dif- yeah. the difference for me in the power ratings, Brett, is I just looked it up. Less than two points. I have Oklahoma yeah. twenty two point twenty two point one. Kansas State twenty point three. Yeah, do you think that uh, – I know we saw the results of Oklahoma losing to Kansas, but I don't think that that if, if you line this today that, that you'd have Oklahoma just being an eight-point favorite. So think about that. Like, no. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Right. So, yeah, th- this is Kansas State for me. Our final FBS game on this show before we get into a very exciting matchup, in my opinion, maybe one of my favorite games of the year. Uh, but this this one is is before that. So we have number five Washington on the road at number eleven Oregon State. Kelly, I had a quadruple check this. The Beavers are favored, two and a half point home favorites. This game carries an over under of sixty three and a half points, and it kicks off at seven thirty p.m. Eastern on ABC. Now Washington did open as a two and a half point favorite, and the markets flipped that uh, five full points in favor of Oregon State. This is a rain game potentially. There is rain expected in Corvallis on Saturday, especially during the game. Be Keep an eye out on how much is coming in. It's going to be a washout. I don't see anything about wins so far, but, you know, it's Wednesday. Things can change by the time the Saturday rolls around. Uh, Washington has won 10 of the last 11 meetings in this matchup. But, of course, Oregon State is as good as they've ever been, potentially uh, maybe not hyperbole in, in the history of their team. Uh, their only losses on the season is at Washington State, which is before the collapse, and also Pullman, very weird, difficult place to play. And then at Arizona, right in the middle of Arizona's big surge. So, uh, but they've just a ridiculous ending the schedule, getting Washington and Oregon back to back. That's going to be a couple of body, body blows there. Where I'd love to hear your numbers about what their probability is to win both of those games. Probably very, very low if I had to guess. Uh, but Washington has been missing wide receiver Jalen McMillan, potential first round NFL draft pick. They've been trying to work him back in. Luckily, he's far from the only option in Seattle. Roma Dunze, Jalen Polk are, are still one of the best duos, uh, duo pass catchers in the conference, uh, in the country, really. I, I think Jalen Polk is, is one of the most underrated players in the entire country. I know the Apple Cup is a really big rivalry against Washington State, but I don't believe Washington is going to be looking ahead to that game, especially with this enormous matchup on hand. And I think the, the notion that coaches and players are unaware of the point spread is, is dissipating day by day. I think Washington knows that they're an underdog going into this game. At least they should. I've also seen a lot of discourse about Washington, their, their frauds going around on the Twitter machine. I, I don't really understand it, to be honest. Uh, Washington continues to get by by the thinnest of margins, yes, but they haven't, like, they're losing the turnover battle and they're winning on the year and in their past three games, they're winning in, in, in spite of it. They're plus 2.2 yards per play on the season, so they're not being outgained every game. Now, they were outgained by Oregon, Arizona State, and Stanford, but they bounced back and they've outgained USC and Utah. So it's not complete fluky results. And I know we like to look at, well, did they win despite being outgained? A lot of talk about the Steelers right now in the NFL being outgained severely on the season, but they're still winning. That's not really the case with Washington. They got outgained in a couple of games that they won, but not all of them. They actually should have beaten Utah by multiple scores. So my question is, what would the line be if, you know, Washington holds on to the football into the end zone for a pick six rather than discarding it behind them? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where would this line be if they beat Utah by 14 or by 10? I don't know that they wouldn't be favored. So uh, the biggest mismatch here in the game, though, I do have to say Damian Martinez and the Be- uh, Beavers run game against Washington's run defense. They've really struggled. The Huskies are 127th in rushing success rate allowed, but it has come against a really tough slate of opponents. Of course, that doesn't get any easier this week. Oregon State has uh, taken the run game out of the equation against teams like Stanford, Colorado, Arizona, but they did allow 284 on the ground to UCLA and 240 to Cal, the better rushing teams that they've faced. So the opportunity is there for Dylan Johnson, if not looking at just the season-long advanced metrics. I still think there's an opportunity for Dylan Johnson to get going, and when he gets going, the offense really opens up. Yeah, Brett, I'll answer your question first. Only an 8% chance that Oregon yeah. State, by my numbers, Jeez. finishes the year 2-0 and here. You, 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 look, you talk about the end of their schedule. They haven't played a team yet power rated in the top 20. Uh, it's been a relatively easy schedule for Oregon State. It's why some people, including myself, made them a sleeper pick out in the Pac-12. But especially on the offensive side, the most difficult offenses they've faced at this point, you know, Arizona at number 21, Colorado at number 42, 
Now you got Washington, who's number four, and next week you go to Oregon, who I have as the number one offense in the entire yeah. country. So it gets real for Oregon State to end little, the year little here. Little step up. <laughs> in some, some high-profile games, I'm very excited for it. This game in particular, it's got a watchability score of 9.3, making it the number two game of the week for me and a top 25 game of the entire regular season by this metric, which might surprise some people. Um, just if, you, if you'd said that, hey, this is a top 25 game between Washington and Oregon State. So I'm excited for it. A top five CFP ranked team is an underdog. You know it's going to be a good game. Uh, I do believe Washington should be on high alert, but I'm not quite as confident as in, as Vegas is in the Beavers here. I make this Washington minus two. So again, I think the opening line was actually pretty pretty darn good. Um, it's a 56% win expectancy for the Huskies. Washington's having an outstanding season, obviously. They are my number six overachiever to date. I've had them in the top four of my most deserving rankings for five consecutive weeks now. But from a power rating standpoint, here's where I can understand some of that fraud talk. Not not all the way to fraud, but my model isn't quite sold from a power rating standpoint. Their best power rating rank this season is number eight. I currently have Washington power rated number 13. So from a elite football team standpoint, at least by my metric, Washington doesn't check that box, but they have a very deserving resume. This reminds me a little bit of the TCU team last year. Now, this year's uh, Washington team, I, I would say, is certainly better on the offensive side of the ball than last year's TCU. Not that they weren't good, but there's a little bit of similarities there from where this team's power rated versus where their resume is ranked. The Huskies are great on offense. They have been all year. They started the year number seven in August. They rose to number one for one week in October. They've now settled in at number four for the past month. But the biggest question this year has been and continues to be just how good is the Washington defense? This is a unit that started the year number 50 in my preseason projections. They quickly moved into the top 25. But after three straight weeks of regression, this unit is now ranked number 43. That's only the fifth best in the conference. This will be a huge test for the Husky D this week against the number 11 Oregon State offense. In August, I pegged two teams as sleepers in the Pac-12. I touched on this earlier, mainly due to the relatively easy schedules. Oregon State and UCLA. UCLA has lost their way a bit here recently, but the model was pretty dialed in on Oregon State from the jump. The Beavers started the year number 24 in my power ratings. They've been between that and their current number 18 ranking all year. This defense has been exactly what I expected. They started the year number 26. They're now number 27, but it's the offense. It's been a pleasant surprise. Number 11, it's the best Oregon State's offense has been all year. It's the best that we've seen in Corvallis in a long time. Though the secret's out on this game, as you said, Brett, the Beavers are the favorite in this one. I think I'd like their chances more if they were an underdog, because you said it. Washington, Washington knows that they're an underdog in this game. They know, hey, we're sitting outside the CFP's top four. We got to continue to make statements, and so I expect that they'll do that. Washington is going to be an overwhelming favorite to still make the Pac-12 championship game, even if they lose this game. But like I said, this team's already on the outside looking in of the committee's top four. Husky fans won't feel great about their chances to make the CFP if they drop this one in Corvallis. You have a big opportunity against what's likely going to be Oregon again uh, at a neutral site this time. But, man, if the committee's not impressed that Washington's undefeated at this point, I don't think that a Washington team that has one loss is going to impress anybody anymore. I mean, I don't know that they'll fall. I don't know how far I guess at this point, but bottom line, I have Washington minus two. It's a 56% chance that Washington books their spot in Las Vegas right here, right now, and rolls into the final Apple Cup, at least for now, undefeated. I do know that the two teams have promised to keep the Apple Cup going. It has not been scheduled yet, but that is not truly a rivalry that we're completely losing here, at least. Um, it, it, there is a potential for a, a skewed number here, I think, with, uh, with with a little bit of recency bias, and that being Oregon State just absolutely crushed Stanford. Uh, that was a a, a no contest there. Um, I said it was a potential for a Cancun team earlier in Houston. Well, Stanford is the Cancun team in the Pac-12. They have completely phoned in the rest of the season. Oregon State, they're an excellent team, having an excellent season, but they've been less dominant against that top-tier talent on their schedule. Like you said, their schedule's been fairly favorable. Utah's offense was a total disaster that didn't know what they wanted to do at quarterback when they played, and the Utes have since improved on that. UCLA's defense is atrocious, and of course, they're sliding. I just see a lot of caveats in their your favorite term in their ranked wins, quote-unquote. Um, if there's ever a year to fade market movement too, this has been the one. It hasn't really been nails. So uh, I will take Washington if it hits three. 
Uh, I think they win this game outright. I know we've talked about one score games. They're four and zero in one score games, so not exactly your favorite what if team. But to be honest, the one score wins to me that matters year over year. I don't know that in the middle of the season, all of a sudden, these one score games are going to be turning into losses. And again, we talk about the Utah game being a little bit uh, uh, misleading. So. I also like the over here if we're talking uh, the over-under, giving Washington's offensive potency and their inability to uh, defend the run game. So over I like. Washington, if we get to three, I think that the Huskies win this game outright. All right, Kelly, it's time for one of my favorite sporting events of the year. This, to me, watchability, excitement around this game. As you can see, I'm, I'm wearing a shirt in relation to it. Of course, it's the Brawl of the Wild, our FCS game of the week. We have number four, Montana State. At number three, Montana, I'm not kidding when I say that this is up there with watching Army-Navy, with watching Ohio State-Michigan. Of course, I have a little bit more investment into that one. But this is one of these tentpole games that I will stop what I'm doing, clear my schedule to ensure I am in front of a TV watching it. This game kicks off at 2 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus or your local stations if you're in the Montana area. Kelly, lots of amazing FCS rivalries on tap this week. It is truly FCS's rivalry week. We have the border battle between Maine and New Hampshire, the Causeway Classic between Sacramento State and UC Davis, the Capital Cup between Richmond and uh, William & Mary, the game, the other the game between Harvard and Yale, and of course, the rivalry between Lehigh and Lafayette. That last one is actually the longest-running rivalry in Division I college football. We could probably do an entire podcast episode just based on these, but uh, we won't. We will just talk about the backyard brawl, but this is the big boy of the year. Probably most years in the FCS probably gets the most attention, especially college game day heading there just last year. They play for the Great Divide Trophy, which is named after the Continental Divide that actually separates these two schools. Um, it's the 17th oldest rivalry in Division I college football, the second oldest in the FCS outside of the Ivy League, and the oldest in the Big Sky Conference. The Bobcats have won five of the last six games, even though this history uh, has been mostly dominated by Montana. The Grizzlies have really rebounded to this season after a loss earlier in the season in Northern Arizona, that being back in September. And of course, a narrow 17-10 win against D2 Ferris State, which now that, first of all, they're the D2 champions. Now that Bill Conley's been releasing the 760 um, power rankings, Ferris State is like up there. Now you can visually see they would actually be favored over a handful of FBS teams like ULM against State and Akron. So just to put that into perspective, it was still a good win. Uh, but the Grizzlies have won six straight games, including games against Idaho and Sacramento State. So a couple of resume patters there. Montana State, they're seven points away from being undefeated with wins over both South Dakota State and Idaho. We've talked about South Dakota State. They're a mid-level P5 team. Uh, at least for me, they're in my top 35 in, in Division One. So uh, would have been a really nice win there. But of course, the, the receiver had just stepped out of bounds at the end of the game there. It, it was a lot of fun to watch anyway. But... I like Montana State's offense better than Montana's, but the offense can struggle when they go up against top-tier defenses like Idaho and South Dakota State that both held them under 21 points. Uh, and the Grizzlies have that top-tier defense. So it, it's a game where I could see that offense being slowed down, but even though they're on the road, uh, Montana State just power rates a whole lot better for me. I'm, I'm looking at them about four-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, I, your numbers may differ, but I think if we get a Montana State at minus three or better, uh, I'll probably bet them, but if we're getting plus three, I'm probably on the uh, plus three or better. I'm probably on the Montana side. Uh, what do your FCS numbers say about uh, this FCS game of the year? Brett, your love for college football at the FCS level and the rivalries. I, I, I love it too. I like the, the rivalries. Absolutely. I can get behind your knowledge though, of these FCS teams is truly awesome. Uh, and the FCS light model that I have, I have Montana state power rated number two, I have Montana power rated number five. So this is a top five power rated matchup as well. My numbers like Montana State by six on the road here at rival Montana. I absolutely think that this is a game um, worth a screen if you can dedicate it to it. And I do like, honestly, the fact that this is FCS rivalry week because from an FBS standpoint, as you talked about earlier, objectively, it is a little bit lighter maybe than uh, th than some other weeks that we have in the regular season, of course, with rivalry week at the FBS level on tap next week. So number two, Montana State, minus six at number five, Montana is what my FCS light model would say about this one. Kelly, it's kind of sad, though. We're a day early on this game because Saturday in Missoula is uh, forecast to be about 51 and sunny with light and variable winds. 
That's not the weather for the Brawl of the Wild. If you look forward one day, we're dropping down in the 40s with rain and sleet and, and uh, hail, or not hail, but snow and wind, and that's the weather I want this rivalry played in. So I'm going to petition to push it to Sunday, uh, just just for the sake of the outdoor weather, because these two schools, of course, are playing out are, are among the few that play outside football uh, this far north in our country. But that's it. That's that's our Week 12 rundown. Uh, only, man, only one more of these left before we get into bowl season and conference championship and the playoff and all that good stuff. But hop on over to our Discord server where you can connect with over 4,000 sports betting fans and get live updates in our college football channel. There you can join a sharp and very active community. Don't forget to subscribe to Aligned YouTube for weekly college football odds and betting videos for the remainder of the season and postseason. And subscribe to us on your podcasting app of choice, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever you're using these days. Drop comments down in uh, the comment section below and where you lean in each of these games. I want to hear your Brawl the Wild predictions. If you got some of those opinions, let me know there. And please leave us a good review if you like the show on those podcasting apps. Kelly, before we get out of here, please let everybody listening know where they can find your work. Absolutely, Brett. You can find me over on X at KFord Ratings, the website KFordRatings.com, and of course over at TheLines.com doing some writing there as well. So it's going to be a great week at college football, Brett. Let's enjoy it, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Yeah, we sure will. Thank you so much as always for watching. I'm Brett Gibbons. That's Kelly Ford. We'll see you all next time.